0: It's all quiet in the underground bunker Doors closed, locks bolted But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels He's making sure your weekend is even better By giving you his best This is the best of Mark Levin
1: The Highland Park shooting Unbelievable Unbelievable They just passed this law, didn't they? 18 to 21-year-olds couldn't buy rifles and all kinds of other kinds of things in this law that we told you wouldn't matter. They don't matter. And they're not going to matter. We've got a huge problem in this country. And it's a cultural decay. That's what's going on in this country, cultural decay, the decay of the civil society, the war on cops, the way that human life is viewed, whether it's abortion, infanticide, whatever the issue, a lack of punishment a lack of discipline in our schools and homes. In so many ways, the old way, quote-unquote, worked, didn't it? Yeah, it did. But the culture is in deep decay. Deep decay. And it's only getting worse, and it's only going to get worse. For a number of reasons. Now, 68 people were shot in Chicago over the weekend. 68 people. Seven were murdered. Could be higher by now. I lost count, quite frankly. Two officers were shot in Philadelphia. Unbelievable. You had shootings in Minneapolis. Eight people. New York, 50 shot. Nine killed. 50. And this horrendous mass murder in Highland Park. Highland Park has an assault weapons ban. A very stringent law, as a matter of fact. Um... And the killer who shot 45 people, seven of whom are dead right now, 45 people from a rooftop. Uh, the weapons he purchased, <coughs> excuse me, he purchased after his uh, dealings with authorities. He had many dealings with authorities and attempted suicide. They went to the family home. They removed 17 knives. They removed some other weapons. Um, On social media, he indicated at one point he was going to hurt himself. He indicated at another point he was going to hurt others. Many people he was going to harm. He'd been... uh, dealt with, whatever that means, by mental health professionals at one point. And he climbs to the roof of this building in Highland Park, Illinois, and fires at least 70 rounds. He reloads a killing spree. People who are marching, people who are parading, People who love their country. Patriots. He's obviously mentally ill. He obviously has a history of mental illness. He didn't exactly hide his, uh, his views of life and murder. Whether his own suicide attempt, or the murder of others. And so the very people who are responsible for keeping us safe in this society are looking elsewhere to put the finger of blame. And they're pointing the finger of blame at guns, the Second Amendment, and the people who support it every time one of these horrendous events occurs, many of you and I are made to feel like we're guilty of something, while these self-righteous politicians, their surrogates and their followers in the media and elsewhere, stand up like they have some righteous position in society because they have the solution. They have the solution. They always have the solution, but in truth they never have the solution. We have a ruling class in this country that is incompetent, unfocused, in many ways ideologically driven. We have a ruling class in this country that's given in to the mob with a ruling class in this country that does not learn from the past, does not embrace experience that demonstrates what in fact can be done in circumstances like this, we're breeding future generations of angry, jealous, and hateful individuals with racist theories and arguments with attacks with attacks on the nuclear family where fathers are needed but the truth is there have been many people raised by just mothers who don't turn out to be mass murderers. but a father figure helps but fathers are denounced The nuclear family is under attack. And so to me, this is all coming to a head. We cannot have faith in the public square, you know. Why not? Separation of church and state. That's not what the Constitution says, and nobody's trying to impose their faith. We're not a theology or a theocracy. We're not doing that. But people have a right to the free exercise of their faith. No, 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 they don't, you see. Prayers out of the school, silent prayers out of the school, the Ten Commandments can't be mentioned, the Bible can't be mentioned, can't even be studied. And then, of course, if you're failing, it's not your fault, it's the system's fault. The system. So you're taught not to accept responsibility or accountability. If you fail, it's not on you. A nation suffers from within. A nation dies from within. When it's at war with itself. And you can see this, and I'm not the first to say this, Jefferson, Story, Lincoln, so many more made the point that if America fails, it will fail from within. From within. We don't need Joe Biden getting up, yelling at the top of his lungs With these phony governors who have a lot of control over their states. With the clowns in the media wringing their hands. With the only solution they can ever come up with, gun control. Gun control. Because it won't work. It won't work. It's not working, even in the cities and states that have it, and a lot of it. And guns are heavily regulated, despite what people say. We're not going to keep guns from coming over the border when we don't have the will to keep people from coming over the border and fentanyl from coming over the border. Guns will come over the border. When you undermine the Border Patrol and ICE, when you undermine local police departments, It takes a toll. So, that most of the people speaking to you today who are in positions of political power or governing power have failed us. So, the ruling class is not going to point to itself. It demands more power, it demands more of your freedom. That's what it demands. This is a knee-jerk reaction. The Republicans who helped the Democrats pass the bipartisan bill a couple of weeks past should know this was all predictable. But they want to be seen as doing something. Something. It is impossible to have a perfect system that catches somebody like this, and at the same time doesn't violate our Constitution. In fact, it's impossible to stop every situation like this, even in Marxist regimes and fascist regimes. We just can't be everywhere. and We don't want to be everywhere. But for those who jump up with their knee-jerk response, like the fool in the Oval Office and others, as if they know exactly what to do, that's why we will never address this in a comprehensive way. That's why, unless we, we somehow, some way, undertake the daunting task of taking our culture back, Of defending families and faith. Of having normal classrooms. And have pride in the civil society. Pride in our police. Pride in our country. You're going to see more of this. I googled what was the greatest mass killing in American history. And they all point to guns. And there had been some horrible... Mass killings with guns. But the greatest mass murder that I can think of was Timothy McVeigh. 168 people were murdered at that federal courthouse with a truck filled with fertilizer. You look at Washakaw, Wisconsin and their Christmas parade on November 21 last year. 62 people were mowed down, six were killed. People remembered that for about 24 hours. Remember the Saranov brothers? The Boston Marathon? The number of people who were severely wounded? Backpack bombs? Something's wrong. But the idea that we're just going to start outlawing things of this sort simply isn't going to work putting aside the Constitution the law and all the rest it's not going to work in fact if you are mentally ill to the point of where you are prepared to kill others or you're not mentally ill at all you're just a cold-blooded murderer, and you can't get a handgun or you can't get a rifle then you will obviously be motivated to find other ways to do what you do or do what you want to do. So what we have here again, and it's almost every time, is a record of somebody who was having severe issues and did not keep them secret. And the question is, what do you do about that person? That's the debate we need to have. But we're never going to have it as a nation. And why is more and more of this going on? You hear these people get up and say, this is uniquely American. It's not uniquely American, but that said, well, then what do we do about it? Well, it's the gun culture. No, it's not the gun culture. It's the culture. We've had a gun culture in this country since its beginning. We had... Rifle ranges in public schools. We had kids who brought their weapons with them to school. We had a much more open and ubiquitous use of weapons 50, 60 years ago than we do today. No, it's much deeper and broader. It's a daunting, daunting problem. But as long as the media and others in this country want to exploit this. Uh, we're not going get, to get it resolved.
0: Mark the Vin.
1: In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions.
0: Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin.
1: I'll let you in on a little secret. One of the things that I'm struggling with. Intellectually. Why do so many people hate this country? Now, without just popping off for some superficial response, it really is something that needs to be smartly explored. Now we've talked about it in different ways, the indoctrination, Marxism and so. but what, what is it that perpetuates this? Is it the human mind? Is it the weakness of the human spirit? What is it? Is it evil? Is it all these things and other things? So this is what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I know. People say, well, how was your fourth? It was great. But this is what I do. I sit there with no I try to read some of the great philosophers. I try to read history. I try to figure these things out. <clears throat> and I'm trying to figure this thing out. Why are wealthy people among those who hate us the most and trying to destroy the country? There have been theories, many. Why are so many people who hate the country attracted to the press? What is the real purpose of the Democrat Party? What is the real purpose of the Republican establishment? And even politics aside, how come people who are born into such an unbelievable society like no other human beings since the beginning of mankind want to burn it down regardless of their ideology? Surely they have to know they have a good in their heart of hearts, in their own minds. What is it? When I keep talking about the imperfections of society, like that is a righteous endeavor? How about contributing to society? By making something for yourself a success. But we can't even define success anymore. this is one of the things I'm working on. Maybe it's a little too up there, Mr. Producer, to figure out. There'll be a thousand answers, but maybe it's a thousand and one that's needed. At least that's my thinking. So this is the sort of thing I'm trying to to figure out. By the way, there's a great book. It's not a book that you just sit down and read unless you're of that mindset, but it is a huge book. And I have the 15th anniversary edition of A Patriot's History of the United States. This book is really something. It's really something. You know, I have hundreds and hundreds of books. Maybe it's a thousand books. I don't know. but there's a section on the Democrat Party. There's been a lot of debate about, but let me put it differently, wrongful information about how that party was started and who started it. A lot of the Democrats like to say was Jefferson. Started the Democrat, Republican, Republican, Democrat Party, that became the Democrat Party. That's not what happened. That's not what happened, just another lie. Ever hear of Martin Van Buren, Mr. Producer? But like most, you don't know anything about Martin Van Buren. He didn't really leave a mark or anything, did he? He was president after Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson didn't believe in debt. He didn't believe in paper money. He didn't believe in the National Bank. Anyway, as he was leaving office, the economy crashed. It was bigger than the Great Depression of the 1930s. It was a tremendous depression for which Martin Van Buren was blamed and never recovered. And Martin Van Buren was a powerhouse in New York a powerhouse which is why he served with Jackson. Particularly a political powerhouse. He is considered the real founding father of the Democratic Party. The modern Democrat Party, without question. They write here that he came from a faction of the Republican Party. as the son of a tavern owner from Kinderhook, New York. Van Buren was known as the Little Magician, and his political group was known as the Old Kinderhook, which became the basis for our modern term, OK. If you were a member of the club, you were a member of OK. Because of his father's middle-class status, Van Buren resented the aristocratic land-owning families and found enough other like-minded politicians to control the New York State Constitutional Convention in 1821 enacting universal manhood suffrage. You know, voting used to be based on property ownership. small-scale suffrage reflected the strategy Van Buren intended to see throughout the nation, an uprising against the privileged classes and a radical democratization of the political process. He learned to employ newspapers as no other political figure had, linking journalists' success to the fortunes of his party. Above all, Van Buren perceived the necessary the necessity of discipline and organization, which he viewed as beneficial to the masses he sought to organize. He was a populist. Yet Van Buren personally embodied the contradictions the Democratic Party would soon exhibit, his party that he founded, espousing liberty while protecting slavery. Van Buren had inherited a slave from his father. The slave ran off when he was a teenager, but developed a sharp distaste for the institution. While working local and state politics in New York, Van Buren hit upon the strategy he intended to use throughout the nation by focusing on suffrage, that is, getting out the vote. Sound familiar? Getting out the vote. Mm Mm-hmm. This constituted an uprising against the privileged classes and a radical democratization of the process. As one political opponent marveled of Van Buren's patronage network, what he did through the radical democratization of the political process is he also greased that process by awarding government jobs to his party apparatchiks. As one political opponent marveled at Van Buren's patronage network in New York, he said the wires of political machinery were attached to strings in every county in the state. Van Buren learned to employ newspapers as no other political figure had, linking journalists' success to the fortunes of his party. As Duff Green, one of the editor allies, wrote, party is everything. Now keep this in mind with the modern Democrat Party. Even while he took Van Buren's money, Green recognized the dangers of a politicized press, writing in 1826, It is in vain to talk of a free press when the favor of power is essential to the support of editors. And the money of the people, by passing through the hands of the executive, is made to operate as a bribe against liberty. But above all, Van Buren perceived the necessity of discipline and organization, which he viewed as beneficial to the masses he sought to organize. You notice an overlay here with Marxism? Now keep something in mind. There was no Marxism in 1826. But there's an overlay, isn't there? With his allies in the printing businesses, Van Buren's party covered the state with handbills, posters, editorials, even ballots. Ballots. The Endurance Plan also took to into account the liberalization of voting requirements in the states. By 1820, most states had abandoned property requirements for voting, greatly increasing the electorate. In contrary to expectations, voter participation actually fell. In fact, when property restrictions were in place, voter participation was the highest in American history. More than 70% in Mississippi, 1823, and Missouri, 1820, More than 80% in Delaware, 1804, and New Hampshire, 1814, and an incredible 97% of those eligible voting in 1819. Why? Because they had a property interest, and they wanted to protect it. The key to getting out the vote in the new, larger, but less vested electorate was a hotly contested election. Please, this is important, especially where parties were most evenly balanced there occurred the highest voter turnout with spectacular increases in Maine, New Hampshire, the middle states, Kentucky, and Ohio. Or put another way, good old-fashioned partisanship at the time Madison had extolled, energized the electorate. So what have we learn so far? Van Buren wanted massive voting. He wanted to unconnect it, disconnect it from various property interests. Okay, fair enough. He loaded the bureaucracy with Democrat apparatchiks because he wanted to control the government. And he wanted to create jealousies and anger and disputation in order for his party, the Democrat Party, to pull together a coalition to win. Does that not sound like today, Mr. Producer? The key to getting out the vote was a hotly contested election. Van Buren absorbed the impact of these changes. He relished confrontation. Known as the Little Magician or Red Fox of Kinderhook, Van Buren organized a group of party leaders in New York, referred to as the Albany Regency, to direct a national campaign where some scholars make it appear that Van Puren only formed the new party in reaction to what he saw as John Quincy Adams' outright theft of the 1824 election from Jackson. He had, in fact, already put the machinery in motion for much different reasons. For one thing, he disliked what today would be called a new tone in Washington. Monroe's willingness to appoint former Federalists to government positions or a practice called the Monroe heresy. The New Yorker wanted conflict and wanted it hot, hot conflict as a means to exclude the hated Federalists from power. The election of 1824 at best provided a stimulant for the core idea for future action already formed in Van Buren's brain. Mark
0: Levin.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launcher Online Shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
1: You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Joe Biden was in Ohio today. And he wants you to remember something, America. Cuts, what is it, 15, go.
3: You all remember what the economy was like when I was elected a country in a pandemic with no real plans how to get out of it. Millions of people out of their jobs. Families and cars, remember, backed up for literally miles, waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk. What is he talking
1: to... about, Mr. Producer? We cover the news. What is that one incident somewhere? I mean, the people around Biden are doing the country no good. By being yes men, yes women, yes transitioners. Doesn't do any good. Because he's a liar anyway. So he begins to believe his own lies. The country was in a pandemic with no real plans of how to get out of it. And how did Biden exactly get us out of a pandemic? Anyone know? What was developed under Biden? More people died, as you know, in Biden's first year than in Trump's last year from the virus. And Biden had the benefit of inheriting the vaccines, the therapeutics, and all the rest of it. People were living in their cars, waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk.
3: Go ahead. Put in their trunk. they didn't have up to eat. The previous administration lost more jobs on its watch than any administration since Herbert Hoover. That's didn't a fact. He did lose
1: jobs on the watch. It was your Democrat Party governors that shut down their economies. In big blue states, like New York and California, like Illinois and Michigan, like New Jersey. Big blue states slaughtered their economies, slaughtered jobs, slaughtered small businesses. That's what happened. Trump didn't do that. Abbott in Texas didn't do that. DeSantis in Florida didn't do that. Nome and South Dakota didn't do that, and on and on and on. So these lost jobs, significantly lost jobs, number of jobs, were in blue states. And as it turns out, reports are out now that they're recovering much more slowly, if at all, compared to red states. You embrace capitalism, you embrace liberty, things happen. You embrace government. Things die. But there he is. I just want you to step step back. Even if you're not an ardent Republican or you don't really despise Biden, what is his solution <coughs> excuse me? What is his solution, ladies and gentlemen? What is he gonna do? What is he gonna do? What he's already done is has caused inflation, the kinds of which we haven't seen in half a century. Same with the gasoline prices, where we've gone from energy independent to this. Now you're thankful if the price has gone down 20 cents, but it's gone up two bucks,
3: two and a half bucks. Go ahead. All based on failed trickle down economics that benefit the wealthiest Americans and hit the middle class and working people the hardest. There he is,
1: Karl Marx Biden. The wealthiest Americans, the middle class, the poorest Americans. Again, what is he talking about? Inflation is on him. And that hurts the poorest Americans in the middle class the most. He did this. His party did this. The price of fuel, they wanted it to go up. The price of electricity, starting with Obama, they wanted it to go up. How do we know? They said so. They're in control of Washington, they're in control of the media. They're in control of corporate America. They're in control of academia. What's the problem? The problem is their ideology. Well, they talk a good game about the middle class and the poor and try and focus your hate towards wealthy people, whatever that means anymore. It is of no consequence. You cannot solve inflation. You cannot produce more fuel with this kind of propaganda and rhetoric in lieu of real action. And that action means less government. To the extent you use government, you use government to remove obstacles, not to create them. So what obstacles has he removed? None. He's built obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Now, this is a very dumb man. This is a man who I've told you before, both on radio and TV, who plagiarized his way through law school. He's a very dumb man. He was dumb before he lost half his wits. And that's part of the problem.
3: Go ahead. We came in with a fundamentally different economic vision. An economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. What does that f- mean?
1: An economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. See, this doesn't say a thing, it's gibberish. An economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. I have no idea what that means. That's just more class warfare claptrap. That's what it is. Now, on the one hand, they want to pretend that they're protecting you from the big this and the big that. On the other hand, his big mouth and his policies, the government's policies and his party's policies, are destroying the country. And remember that when you vote in November and you have... Candidates spending millions and millions and millions of dollars in the Democrat Party funded by all kinds of dark money from billionaires and millionaires and corporations claiming that they're moderates trying to distance themselves from Biden. Just remember who they are. Because none of them are moderates. Every damn one of them voted for this. Every damn one of them voted for Biden. Every damn one of them in the House voted for Pelosi to be the speaker.
3: Go ahead. Everyone because when the middle class does well, the poor of a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. And that's why What does this have
1: to do, ladies and gentlemen? We're bringing down the cost of fuel and getting inflation under control. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He steals his tactics. From the most brutal of Marxist dictators. From Solinsky, Personalizing, targeting, attacking. He has no substance, this man. None whatsoever. No brain capacity. As Mr. Producer said to me off-air, he not only doesn't learn from the past, he doesn't learn from
3: the present. He's a moron. Go ahead. I the American Rescue Plan based on based on the belief that a recovery should help all Americans prosper. A belief that well, working... you're not
1: helping all Americans prosper.
3: You're helping all Americans get poor. You dummy. Go ahead. Power and unions are good for workers and for the economy. What do plan... unions have to do with this?
1: I'll tell you what. Joe Biden, in his first election for the Senate, sold his heart and soul to the unions in Delaware. This is the truth. If you're a union member, I'm not attacking, I'm just explaining what happened. He won that election for the Senate at the age of 29, sworn into the age of 30. He won that election by the skin of his teeth. And he always thanked the labor unions. The teacher unions for winning that election for him, for getting him across the finish line, for organizing the precincts, for getting him the money he needed. And so, for his entire political career, he has felt the need to, quote unquote, pay them off. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about energy independence. So many of the men and women who work in the oil fields are union members. Many of the truck drivers in this country, not all, are union members. Many of the people who are suffering under this man are union members. Not the public sector, you know, not teachers. They're doing just great. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the private sector.
3: Go ahead. That led to the most jobs created in the first period of a presidency than any time and over in all American history. He didn't create
1: jobs, his economic disastrous, depressed economic model did not create jobs. You know what created jobs? We were coming out of the pandemic, coming out of the virus situation. People were going back to work. Not because of anything. Not because of anything Biden did, but in spite of it. Can you name one policy he put in place that created a record number of jobs? No, there aren't any. You know, there's been so much obfuscation, dishonesty, fog, static thrown around by Biden and his people to try and uh, avoid, escape, evade responsibility and accountability for what they've done. And they've had various arguments over it, various deceptions. They are responsible, ladies and gentlemen, they are responsible. He did not find the economy in collapse, it was growing. He takes credit for work he did not do, for things that happen he's not responsible for. On the other hand, the things he is responsible for, he refuses to take responsibility. So we're not just dealing with a dunderhead, a man who mentally really should never have been anywhere near the Oval Office, and I'm not kidding about that. We're dealing with a man who's way over his head, even in the best of times. Way, way over his head. And people around him who are driven by ideology. Radical Marxist ideology. He keeps using the class warfare propaganda. Bottom up, middle out. The rich keep getting richer. Just do your job, jerk. Just do your job. Don't worry about who's getting this and who's getting that. Just do your damn job. Look around, is anything running properly that the government's involved in, that the Biden administration's involved? Anything? Anything. The supply chain? We never even heard about the supply chain before. But we knew it was out there, but it wasn't of concern. It's collapsed under Biden. The electrical grid doesn't produce enough electricity. What's he doing about it? Absolutely nothing. He's pushing the country toward pulling more demand off a grid system that's not built for it. What's he doing with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? He's draining it. What is he doing to improve investment? research and development on fossil fuels he's killed it he's killed fracking the expansion of fracking what is he doing to secure the border the opposite the border's wide open what is he doing about crime in our streets nothing absolutely nothing He says he cares about unions in the middle class. Okay, what's he done for unions in the middle class? Nothing. He's harmed them significantly. How about the family? He's put enormous stress on the family. He has signed a half dozen executive orders promoting LGBTQI+. Rather than live and let live, He's trying to impose lifestyles on the majority of the American people who do not share them. But beyond that, his NEA and AFT, his NEA and AFT are using our classrooms to destroy your kids' minds, to destroy them. Where's all the... The national reports on how well our schools are teaching our kids, you don't even see them anymore. Parents can't believe that they're having to look for alternative forms of education, whether it's homeschooling, whether it's community homeschooling, where parents get together because some have to work and they take turns, whether it's various religious schools, we happen to know a person who's Jewish who's sending her kids to Catholic school. It's what's available, and she does not want them being indoctrinated about CRT and sexualized in kindergarten. And people are struggling to make ends meet. You, we, are the ones that subsidize these institutions, or they'll take our homes away with through property taxes we have no say that's what they tell us what has Biden done to improve the situation nothing he's done things to make the situation worse and what's he gonna do blame some foreign country for it all blame the rich the rich have nothing to do with what's going on in our classrooms the rich have nothing to do with the destruction of our of our families thanks to Biden the rich have nothing to do with the open borders And I could go on and on and on. This man is not only way over his head. He has embraced a radical ideology. He thinks that will save him. Plus that, the historians told him, will make him a great man. Do I owe you anything, Mr. Producer? All right, good. A lady, I think her name was Carol, called here yesterday. And she said, we need to stop calling it cancel culture. It's cancer culture. She's right on. And Biden and his surrogates and the media are responsible for it. They're not the first. They won't be the last. But they are energizing the unraveling of this society. Mark
0: Levin. The great one makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin.
1: Department of Justice is very, very busy. They've sued the state of Arizona to block a state law that requires voters to provide proof of citizenship. Now, why would the Department of Justice do that, ladies and gentlemen? Now, this law was to take effect in January. They said it violates the National Voter Registration Act by requiring proof of citizenship to vote in presidential elections or vote by mail in any federal election. The Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, who's a nutcase, she said this lawsuit reflects our deep commitment to using every available tool to protect all Americans' right to vote and to ensure that their voices are heard in our democracy. No, it doesn't. You're a liar. so you're not even allowed to ask people to demonstrate that they're American citizens to vote ladies and gentlemen you know what's going on here on the one hand you're not allowed to question fraud in an election unless you concoct a Russia collusion or whatever to attack Trump or any other Republican but the Democrats fight viciously obsessively to destroy all the protections that are in place in our voting system. Since when did it become discriminatory to ask people if they're American citizens and the demonstrated? Since when is that a liability to American citizens voting? It's not. So what's the issue? The issue is the Democrats rely on a certain percentage of the vote to be fraudulent in order to win. That's right, I said it. How else can you explain this? How else can you explain this? You can't. The law also violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Oh, is that right? By requiring election officials to reject voter registration forms based on minor errors, officials said. Minor errors? Are you an American citizen? Well, okay, vote this provisional ballot, you know. The Attorney General of Arizona, who's a good guy, I've endorsed him for the Senate. He said he would fight the lawsuit. I will once again be in court defending Arizona against the lawlessness of the Biden administration, he said. Now, the article goes on, because it's written uh, by Reuters, To trash those who dare to question the 2020 election, because as we all know, it's the only election in American history where there was no fraud, despite the fact it had the least amount of protections against fraud of any national election in modern history. Just just accept your fate, folks. That's it. Don't raise any questions. They can raise questions about Trump, about Bush. They can raise questions about this election or that election. They can try and have substitute electors and all the rest, but if you open your mouth, you're going to lose your job, or you might even get prosecuted. So they sue over what Reuters calls restrictive voting requirements. Are you a citizen? None of your damn business! Okay, that's a restrictive voting requirement. Your Department of Justice is very, very busy. Now, of course, they're also defending Joe Biden in his violations of immigration laws. His violations of Title IX and women's sports. But it's of no consequence. Here you go. Just the news. Rape, extortion, deaths. Migrants paying inhumane price to reach Joe Biden's open border. Where's the Department of Justice? It's supposed to have a role in enforcing our federal laws. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's doing nothing except defending Biden and attacking, again, any law that's in place that would stem the tide of illegal immigration, including crooks and criminals coming into this country, including fentanyl. You talk about mass murder, 110,000 deaths. The Chinese manufacture it, they give it to the Mexican drug cartels, who bring it into the United States. And what are the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department doing? Suing Arizona because it wants to know if you're a citizen before you vote. Now we know last week, 53 illegal immigrants boiled to death in the back of a sweltering truck that smuggled them across the Texas border. That's a toll far greater than Buffalo, Buffalo, Uvalde and this latest mass murder combined. Well, before that atrocity, Sheriff Mark Lamb witnessed an extraordinary piece of evidence that convinced him of the inhumanity of Joe Biden's open border. It was a plastic baggie stuffed in the shirt of young migrant woman caught by his deputies wandering wandering through uh, Arizona. She had a baggie full of pills, Lamb recounted. And so we started saying, hey, what are the pills for? And she says, look, when I was going across the border, I knew I'd get raped multiple times. These are morning after pills. Those of you who have a Democrat representative in the House, so-called moderate, they've done nothing about this. They say nothing about this. Because they're not moderates. They're party apparatchiks who pretend to be moderates in order to attract your vote. Her answer, and the fact that the baggie was already missing some pills, was enough that even the most grizzled of law enforcement veterans painfully aware That the open border Biden has ushered into existence over 18 months ago has lured hundreds of thousands of illegal migrants on perilous tricks in the hands of criminal cartels for which rape, extortion, indentured slavery and deadly journeys inside sweltering trucks or along raging river waters have become the price of admission. Women are being raped on a daily basis. Kids are being used as drug pawns. Men are being extorted, Lamb told Just the News in a recent interview. Like when, as Americans, does this become acceptable Acceptable because it suits your politics? The real humanitarian issue is what the cartels are doing to human beings on a daily basis. It has to stop, said Sheriff Lamb. Lamb's anguish is shared by congressmen, governors, counselors, and Border Patrol agents whose stories of alarm are often drowned out by a media far more interested in abortion and the January 6 hearings. Brandon Judd, president of the union that represents Border Patrol agents, said the 53 deaths in the back of a semi-trailer in San Antonio is emblematic of a daily death toll his colleagues witnessed but don't always see reported. The problem has just gotten worse month over month, Judd told the Just the News and now we're seeing deaths and a lot of deaths sorrow has increasingly turned to rage as border politicians seek to hold Biden and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas accountable for luring hundreds of thousands of migrants into a most inhumane journey north of America's border in the hands of criminal cartels with that journey comes millions of smuggled pills laced with deadly levels of fentanyl That last year helped kill a record 107,000 Americans from overdoses and poisonings. These drug cartels, the border policies of Biden, have created this syndicate down there where human life means absolutely nothing. Where somebody can just leave 50 people in the back of a truck in 100 degree plus weather just to die in bear country in the middle of Texas in San Antonio, said Representative Brian Babin a Texas Republican. The best brands that the cartels have in America is Joe Biden and Alejandro Moriartas, Babin said. They are part and party to human trafficking, sex trafficking, and drug trafficking, you name it. It is open season on our border patrol and on our ranchers, on our property owners. They simply have abrogated their commitments and their oath of office to protect and enforce the constitutional laws of the United States. So where's the Department of Justice? Well, the vast majority of resources, like never before in American history, are tracking down 65-year-old men and women who may have set foot on the Capitol grounds and paraded and trespassed without a permit on January 6th. They're certainly not busy protecting our justices, and they're certainly not busy arresting protesters in violation of federal law or threatening our justices. And so to pull this all together, here's the Epic Times. Attorneys claim that Department of Justice government's manufacturing evidence to charge and incarcerate January 6th prisoners As January 6th, prisoners continue to languish in jail without trials. Do you believe this? They're still in jail. Without bond and in subhuman conditions. Two January 6th attorneys are claiming the government is manufacturing evidence to arrest and incarcerate them. Louis Gohmert says the government's also hiding evidence that could possibly exonerate some of them. And This isn't the first time Democrats have manufactured evidence to support their allegations in a legal proceeding. July 2018, the infamous Steele dossier was revealed to be little more than a lie funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC to obtain a warrant to spy on former Trump campaign volunteer Carter Page and derail Trump's campaign. During a September 26, 2019 Intelligence Committee hearing, Adam Schiff read a fabricated transcript of a phone call between former President Trump And Ukrainian Ukrainian President Zelensky. When he was caught, he claimed it was a parody. During the first impeachment trial in February 2021, Representative Eric Swalwell used a Photoshop version of a Twitter post Trump retweeted about supporters, quote unquote, fighting for the country to make it seem more ominous. After being caught on being forced to admit they doctored a text message between Representative Jim Jordan and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows during the December 2021, January 6 hearings, and also excluded content about how they had wanted former Vice President Mike Pence to handle electoral votes during the joint session of Congress. Jordan further opined that their statement saying, we regret the error is really government speak for we got caught lying. And he goes on. Joseph McBride, an attorney from multiple January 6 prisoners and defendants, is certain the government's manipulating evidence. In terms of attorneys, McBride told Epic Times, I'm probably the most outspoken attorney in the United States of America who's representing January 6th defendants. He said he has five going on six criminal defendants related to January 6th and three civil rights cases. He also represented five January 6th defendants before the January 6th committee. And considering the death of his involvement... McBride believes he's far and away the most eligible and outspoken attorney among those attached to the January 6 legal battles. He says, you're not allowed to punish a pretrial detainee in the United States because you're innocent until proven guilty. It's only after you've been convicted of a crime or plead through a crime that you can be punished for a crime. Punishment for a crime is deprivation of freedom. My clients and others like them have been brutally assaulted. They've been locked away in cells for months at a time. They've been denied medical care and have had their human rights, their civil rights, their constitutional rights violated by the staff of the D.C. Gulag, by the staff at the Northern Neck Jail because they have been green-lighted by the Biden machine to harm anybody who showed up at the Capitol on January 6th to speak out about the election results. It is unconstitutional. It is immoral. It is un-American. It is wrong. And there, these damn judges in Washington, D.C., sit on their fat asses because they wear black robes and allow this to occur. Says the Department of Justice policy only allows the government to make public comments about matters that are already a matter of public record. So he's filed complaints. They run in excess of 20, 30, 40, even 50 pages long. But no public comment from the Department of Justice. And another attorney... January 6th attorney Bill Shipley is equally convinced the government is manufacturing evidence to support a narrative. He is called into question the validity of photo and video screenshots, so-called evidence used in three of his cases. Two of them. Well, three of his cases. Then it goes on. That's how American citizens are treated. You want to vote and somebody asks you If you're a citizen, that obviously violates the 1964 Civil Rights Act, you see. The Democrat Party is corrupt. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C., and the Attorney General of the United States are politicized beyond redemption. And this is the situation. Mark
0: Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin.
1: There is some kind of a culture in this two-party system, different cultures, actually. The Democrat Party has a culture of sorts, and the Republican Party has a culture of sorts. Now, in the Democrat Party, it is this growing Marxist ideology, class warfare, the use of any differences between human beings as a way to create support through anger and jealousy. And this, as we talked about the other day, is how the Democrat Party was founded by Martin Van Buren in the 1820s. And that culture has remained, largely. um, Creating uh, targets, entities to personally attack but even more than that, there's another culture aspect, a cultural aspect in the Democrat Party. And it is loyalty. I'm speaking in in a general way, there are exceptions, but loyalty. You don't have people resigning from Biden's presidency or resigning from Obama's presidency. Or resigning from Clinton's presidency. And so forth and so on. In writing scores of books. Excoriating their former boss. Kiss and tell books. And yet there's plenty to kiss and tell about. Their abuses of the IRS. Their abuses of the FBI. Generally their abuses of power. There hasn't been a single negative book of any consequence written about Barack Obama. He was the perfect man. Nothing. Nothing. His staff isn't resigning and writing about the fact that he's an incompetent or that he has mental issues or he only works four days a week and barely that. Nothing. None of that. Nothing. Now, they say the media are turning on Biden. They're not so much turning on Biden as they know that he is he is a dead man walking politically. And then when the time comes, they do not want him to run again. They want to push him out of the way and promote one of the out of the closet radicals who can put three sentences together. That is people who don't pretend to be moderate, but are way out there. But it's the culture of the Republican Party I want to address this evening. What is the culture? I have never seen so many disloyal people in any organization. Corporate, labor, clubs, associations, what have you. The Republican Party is filled with with so many, so many disloyal individuals, it's unbelievable. They write these books after having served close to the president of the United States. In this case, I'll say Donald Trump. They leak. They. They themselves enrich themselves, they want to be celebrated by the people who have attacked their boss and the boss's administration or the boss's office or what have you. And there's so many examples, I don't have enough time to cite them all. And it's an amazing thing. I watched this, having served eight years in the Reagan administration, several years as Chief of Staff to Attorney General Meese, as Deputy Solicitor of the Interior Department, as Associate Director of Presidential Personnel, as Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of Elementary and Secondary Education. I never leaked against any of my bosses. I never wrote essays or books anonymously or with my name against any of them. And so now, for 40 years, I watched how these Republicans conduct themselves. You've had Chris Christie, you've had Bill Barr, you've had lesser lights like Stephanie Grisham. She's the press secretary to the president and also to the first lady. And she's just out there, slashing and burning. You see the loyalty in the Democrat Party, and you see the disloyalty in the Republican Party. It's shocking. So this culture apparently has been developed for some time in the Republican Party. Now, These individuals who conduct themselves this way lack character. They have had opportunities during the course of their careers to step out when it really mattered, if they feel it really mattered. But they didn't. Every one of them has benefited, every one of them has benefited by trashing the person they used to work for. And so, who's the latest? Former acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Now, maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I haven't heard squat from this guy until the last couple of weeks. He was basically forced out, he has a chip on his shoulder. Now and then when I would come to the White House, I remember him kind of standing in the corner, always shifty, I never trusted this guy. Other House members have told me about this guy, how he would make a commitment and not follow through, but I don't need to get into all that. He goes on CNN, he goes on CBS, he will go anywhere, he'll go on airport radar, he'll go on sonograms. And he's invited everywhere now because he's taking shots at Trump. Now, he doesn't know anything about what happened in November. He was not in the White House. He was gone. And ultimately, he was replaced with Mark Meadows. And Mulvaney has something up his orifice about Mark Meadows. Now, the two men knew each other as members of Congress. But I remember the two as members of Congress, too. And I remember Mulvaney would make a commitment to vote against, for Republican speaker, Boehner, and then didn't. And that was on a vote that was pressed by Mark Meadows. So they have these personal issues that we generally don't know about, but the media don't care. They're going to exploit this. And Mulvaney, like Chris Christie before him, like Bill Barr before him, like most of the reprobates in the second and third tier, Stephanie Grisham, and on and on and on, they're the ones who talk to the Woodwards and the Bernsteins and we have anonymous sources, you know. But to have served as a chief of staff to a president of the United States and then to use the confidentiality that comes with that position to draw attention to yourself and to try and destroy the individual who had faith in you, whether you like them afterwards or not, demonstrates a complete lack of character. It really does. And so now they bring in Mick Mulvaney, does CNN, and ask them about Pat Cipollone. Now, I don't know Pat Cipollone well, but I do know him to be a very stand-up guy from my talks with him, which weren't many. He was always very friendly to me, told he's a good guy. But the purpose for CNN and MSNBC and these Sunday shows is to create is to create battles between former staffers or current staffers and former staffers. It's to create a narrative. And so when you're a Mulvaney or a Barr or a Chris Christie or whomever you are, you know this. These are the people who've tried to destroy you in the past, whether it's Chris Christie and his bridge, whether it's Bill Barr impeachment, whether it's Mulvaney and his incompetence. So here's a perfect example. Cut, one, go.
3: So you previously predicted that the committee was going to work on getting Pat Cipollone's testimony and that ultimately he was going to show up, and now that is...
1: Now, how hard was that to predict? How hard was that to predict? The only person who can assert executive privilege over what Cipollone said as counsel to the then president is Trump, and he hasn't done it. The only other person who can do it is Biden in order to protect the tradition and the practice of not allowing a White House counsel to testify in this sort of an environment. But Biden is Trump's opponent, so he's not going to. So how hard was that to predict? Wasn't hard at all. So Cipollone either appears or he's subpoenaed. He can't assert executive privilege on his own. Doesn't belong to him. Go ahead.
3: What do you think he's going to offer to the committee?
2: Um, The truth. Uh, I I know, Pat, I worked very closely with Pat for 15 months, actually more than that, uh, when I was in the White House in the West Wing. Um, And Pat will tell the truth. There is no question about it. Uh, Will he corroborate what Casey Hutchinson had said? Uh, Will he counter what she said? I don't know. Uh, But I do know that Pat Cipollone is an honorable guy. And once he puts his hand on that Bible, he will be telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help him, God.
1: So what is the point of this interview?
2: Cut two, go.
3: Do you trust Mark Meadows to now tell No, that's the th-
1: point of the interview. Mulvaney now is going to be the demigod who decides which person is trustworthy, but even more, which is not. And he has this hate on for Mark Meadows. Go ahead.
3: Do you trust Mark Meadows to tell the truth? <clears throat>
2: um if mark meadows put his hand on a bible and said he was going to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth i would be inclined to believe that i do not believe at this point he's the most credible out of all the witnesses you asked me a fair question five minutes ago which is if cipollone said x and cassidy hutchinson said why I'd, I'd want to look at it very very closely and it'd be a close call if cipollone says x and mark meadows says Y, am absolutely believing cipollone i just am and i think a lot of folks are um mark seems to uh, have gone through a very dark period he was apparently according to Cassidy detached from the job I don't know if he was having some sort of uh, event where he could not engage but I think Mark um, Mark is in a really strange place um, that, is,
1: that is just unbelievable that Mark's in a really strange place that's why he's invited on they hold up a former chief of staff to attack a subsequent chief of staff who makes, who flails with these comments like this. And that's why they build up Mulvaney. He can be depended on to do this and to do more of it. That's why they build up Chris Christie. That's why they build up Barr. But what Mulvaney, Christie, and Barr, and the others need to understand is you will never be good enough for the people who want to destroy you. Never. Ever. Stephanie Grisham, who was the press secretary for a period of time, with her book, Cut Four Go.
3: I, you know, I think that uh, Mick was a lot more charitable than I would be with, with um, <laughs> when it comes to Mark, I would believe my dog over Mark Meadows. So, absolutely, I do want to say I agree with, with Pat completely, or with uh, Mick completely about Pat. He is a man of integrity. Uh, I didn't always agree with No question
1: with there, but, but again... It's Meadows. He's got to be the enemy now. I saw this woman once when I was at the uh, Trump golf club in uh, Florida, and she was there wolfing down desserts like there was no tomorrow. I mean, she might as well have rubbed them on her body.